American willpower meets Sin the Tyrant. Back in the 1520s, a good reformer, Martin Luther, is hiding from those who want him killed. Believing in the power of the scriptures, he does a very heretical act for the time and translates the Bible from the one and only copy that was supposed to be used at the time, Latin, into German, using Hebrew and Greek. This Luther Bible version was a wonderful gift to the world. It was propelled forward by the newly invented printing press, and it quickly became owned by many institutions, churches, and schools. It's about the cost of one month's wages for an average laborer, so it wasn't in everybody's homes yet, but it became far more prolific than it had ever been possible before. It was widely influential, but there were some translation changes that have drastically affected our modern religious landscape. One of those translation changes is into a Greek phrase, the pistis Christu. Pistis has traditionally been translated faith, and Christu has been translated in Christ, that we are saved by faith in Christ. It's a message you've been hearing, many of you, since you were a small child. Only problem is, for those of you who remember what a genitive is, maybe you took a Latin class or Greek in your earlier years, is that's not traditionally how genitives are translated. Generally, an oo sound at the end means a genitive is of something. So it more likely would have been better translated as the faith of Christ or the faithfulness of Christ, even more likely. That one translation change from Luther 500 years ago haunts us today. The so-called Lutheran or Reformed view of sin and salvation has professed that having faith in Jesus, having some sort of dogmatic belief in this person, saves us from our sins. Many of us were asked to walk down the Romans road, for any of you who've been to Christian camps, that series of verses from the book of Romans that shows us supposedly how God is going to save us from damnation. Just have faith in Jesus ask him into your heart, then you're saved. And that can usually be witnessed by the actions you take in response to your love of Jesus. But in the past 30 years, the new perspective on Paul has taken hold throughout most of scholarship, although not most of the church. This view opened the world's eyes to the reality that Paul in this book is not laying out a system of salvation. If he did, he certainly jumped around a lot as he made his points. See, the new perspective believes that Paul believed, as a Jewish person, that Jewish people were already a part of the covenant relationship, that they needed no justification. The question became, how were these Gentile believers supposed to believe and act? If they, as Gentiles, are not, like us Jewish people, de facto members of the covenant, Remember, Jewish people believe they're part of the covenant de facto by being birthed as Jews. So what do we do with these Gentiles? Paul writes to the church in Rome and so many of his other letters with this reconciliation in mind. He says, look, folks, it's not just about doing those things that most clearly separate us from the rest of the community by our eating laws and circumcision. It's not just about that. It's not just about following Torah law. Now, the Torah was extremely important for Jewish people. So important, in fact, that Paul is not trying to wipe away its importance. 
Remember in Acts 16, Paul circumcises Timothy before Timothy becomes part of his entourage. The law matters for Paul. But Paul in Romans is trying to help the Jewish believers understand how those Gentile believers who don't adhere to some of those acts are still one with them in the covenant community. That is the central message of Romans. Kind of changes the perspective, doesn't it? Put that together with the faithfulness of Christ business, and it leads Pamela Eisenbaum to some of the letter of Romans like this. She says, Paul's letter to the Romans is not an answer to the question, how can I be saved? Rather, it's his answer to the question, how will the world be redeemed? And how do I faithfully participate in that redemption? This begins our sermon series on the book of Romans. We may or may not have it next week, but for them, the rest of the summer, we'll be looking at this incredibly powerful book through that lens of reconciliation as we unpack this way that Paul was seeking unity in the Christian community. And Lord have mercy, do we know we need to learn that lesson in our times. Paul was inviting everyone to God's work of redemption, telling the Jewish believers, Gentiles are part of this work too. They belong. They are children of the covenant just as much. As we see Romans 7 today, we see Paul in the middle of explaining how it is that adherence to Torah law is not the end-all be-all. If, you, if your head felt muddled up, that's good because that's exactly what Paul was trying to do. In this passage, Paul is trying to make very clear that just because he, and you've heard him probably before in church, be prideful and arrogant and boastful about he is the first among apostles, first among the Pharisees. He taught the law. He persecuted Christians on behalf of the purity of the law, right? This is the guy who's first place in doing everything right. The goody two-shoes of goody two-shoes. And he shows that even he couldn't do, and even he couldn't follow a strict adherence to the Torah law at all times. So in this passage and those following, he shows that it's not about him. It's not about your actions. It's about the faithfulness of Christ that brings in Gentiles and brings in Jewish believers into the covenant community to make them beloved children of God. He reminds them that he is first among all those categories that we just listed, but that even he cannot fulfill the law he was taught to obey since birth. He says, I don't do the good that I want to do. I do the evil I don't want to do. It's a miserable feeling. Who will deliver me from this dead corpse? I love that translation. Who will deliver me from this dead corpse? I think thinking about sin and our present national moment is a really interesting thing to do. Visiting with some of our family here reminded me of the many conflicting emotions we have as we begin to work through the sin of racism. Many of us are learning for the first time that racism isn't just about what we intentionally say, so-called racist things. It's a series of decisions that we make, often usually with very good intentions, like where we choose to live or how we choose to spend our money, that are usually meant to do good. Yet even those good intentions often have negative consequences that systematically keep power away from Black Americans. Because racism is in the water that is our culture, 
and we all drink of culture, whether we realize it or not, we are all racist. Every single one of us. As Paul says elsewhere in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fallen short. He describes sin as a tyrant, some kind of cosmic entity that is way bigger than him and his choices or even his intentions. But as we know from racism training and anti-conscious or unconscious bias training, intention does not equal impact. Certainly in communication and also often in the acts of our lives. All have sinned and fallen short. Who will save me from this dead corpse? Paul says, thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, Paul's message to the church in Rome in that context of reconciling Jews and Gentiles is the same that we need to hear today. It is not our works. It's not even our cognitive beliefs, but it's the faithfulness of Jesus that reconciles us to God and to one another. We are called to work along Jesus, along his faithfulness, as we work to reconcile the world to one another. That's some good news for our day, friends. So today, how about instead of shaming and guilting ourselves into thinking how terrible we were as sinners, a problem that vexed Luther for so long, so much so that he needed that translation of faith in Jesus to free him from feeling like a bad sinner repeatedly? How about instead of all that guilt and shame that so many of us felt in church for so many years, how about instead we think more about what it means to be a good co-worker? How do you figure out how to be a good co-worker in your places of employment or volunteer organizations? You can go to conferences, you read books, Anybody done any 360-degree evaluations? Conversations with bosses or supervisors? So what makes us think that we're somehow going to nail our spiritual lives and be better people of character without any of those tools? We need those tools and much more to conquer these systemic sins that sin the tyrant has laid upon the world and continues to work through us, whether we know it or not. So let us begin this healthy process of education and growth and self-analysis, and most importantly, noticing. Noticing the ways that we react around our Black co-workers and friends and people we meet on the streets. See, part of becoming anti-racist is first realizing that we have a problem, that we are all racists. And then we begin to learn and grow as we can notice that a little bit more quickly and notice it in ways that we didn't before. We can read books and articles, listen to podcasts and radio shows. We begin to listen to voices long silenced by our desire not to be inconvenienced because we need to watch our favorite sitcom. My friends, there's so many ways you can go about doing this. You can certainly join our book study as we begin to read How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi as a church. More information about when we'll be starting that will be coming later, but I invite you to email me if you want to be a part of that all-church study. There's also this great book, Raising White Kids, that I'm just waiting for uh, the right amount of parents to tell me, or grandparents. It's a great book for anyone of any station in life. 
So if you want to be a part of that study as well, let me know. Shoot me an email. American willpower meets sin the tyrant. As Luther said, sin boldly, but believe even more boldly in the power of Christ to save us. Thanks be to God and amen.